Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box, with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to FBI Radio 94.5 FM. I'm Mia Hull and this is Out of the Box. Every Thursday from 12 to 1, I sit down with one person to look at the stories and songs that have defined their life. We're coming to you from the FBI Radio studio in Redfern, so I'd like to take some time to acknowledge that we're broadcasting on unceded land belonging to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. Gadigal people have been sharing stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Have you ever shared an office with someone? Have you spent eight hours a day, five days a week by their side? And do you really know them? The man I share an office with is Darren Lasagas. He's an exceptional broadcaster, a fearless leader and a Taurus. Darren's hands have played a really important role in shaping the station that FBI Radio is, from his work as an off-air volunteer to a presenter and now our shiny new program director, which means Darren looks after basically everything that we broadcast. So we'll get to know my office buddy today and you're going to get to know the person who makes your radio and the moments in his life that have shaped him and of course the huge lineup of songs that have meant something special to Darren along the way. I'm very scared and very excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honour. Let's stay right here at FBI for the time being, Darren. I want to talk about your journey within FBI. When did you first hear about this station? I first heard about this station maybe 10 or so years ago. Um, My best friend at uni had just started volunteering at the station. And I had real, I had like kind of a periphery understanding of what FBI was and what it, you know, meant. But never until my friend did her first all nighter. And she was like, I'm going to be on air at 1am on this Wednesday morning, um, you know, listen in. And at the time, I didn't think much of it. I was like, yep, sure, I'll just wake up. And I listened to the radio um, at my parents' house where I lived at the time. And I remember turning on my little uh, alarm clock radio that I've had in my room since I was a child. And hearing my friend on the radio um, felt very, like, uncanny. Because for radio, um, you know, I'd been listening to radio all my life. Um, various radio stations in the car with my parents. Um, and the people on there always seemed untouchable unreal unattainable they weren't they were faceless beings i only knew their voice i didn't know who they were as people but here i was 1 a.m in bed um with the radio down so low so i didn't wake up my parents and hearing my best friend's voice and i thought whoa that's the magic of radio (laughs) at at the time i wasn't like you know whispering that to myself wow the magic of radio i'm gonna be there one day i'm gonna be there one day but it planted a seed you know you know what they say about all these things or it like triggered something in my mind um you know it opened up a possibility that i didn't realize was there and probably at the time didn't realize that i could be a part of or even had a want or desire to be a part of but i just knew that it opened up and i remember her being really bad (laughs) and i think that's what really like broke through the radio wall like her just like stumbling over words playing songs twice, like all the things that you do on your first shift, which um, people at FBI would know very well, myself included. And um, yeah, it opened a sense of possibility. And, you know, we're, we're still best friends to this day and she's a very accomplished journo. Um, and we kind of grew up um, 
in the radio sphere. Um, uh, maybe a couple years after that, I put my name in to start volunteering at FBI because obviously I had a sense of what it was at that point and what it meant. And a bunch of my friends had volunteered there as well. And so I started on the front desk working as a frontliner or a receptionist answering phones and opening doors on uh, a Tuesday afternoon um, during Twidey's show. I would listen to Twidey. I would hang out with his producer, Melody. Um, but I would do odd shifts on other days of the week, um, including Fridays where I met Sweetie Zamora, who hosted um, Friday Others with Shag at the time. And, you know, a story for later, she would then become my boss at a job that I would work <laughs> at full time. But yeah, those moments of like touch points I look back on and I'm like, oh, that was the start of something. You know, when you can chart like a friendship or you can chart a relationship and it's like, that's where it started. FBI has been that point for me in so many ways. And it takes, um, you know, uh, opportunities like this to really step back and reflect on those and realize that this was the place where it all started. So I frontlined for a few months I put my hand up to do presenter training a couple of times, got knocked back twice. <laughs> um, and uh, I was still keen. Um, I was like, that doesn't matter. I just want to be part of this station. It doesn't matter in what iteration that is. So I started producing shows. I produced um, Monday Arvos with Amy Gibbs for a long time. I um, uh, did the your producing for other shows. Oh, Lexi Civides on Saturday Lunch. I produced for Lexi Civides, amazing broadcaster. And then I applied again for presenter training, got in. Caroline Gates was the program director at the time. And that was another moment of like my world opening and like the possibility being shown towards me and um, me finally seeing myself in that possibility, like the power of radio and what radio means and how you can make it your own. And, you know, this idea that FBI fosters your unique voice and that can be FBI. You know, we say this thing that to all our presenters who come through the station is that when you're on air, no matter what time of day it is, 3 a.m. on a Wednesday, 3 p.m. on a Friday, you are the voice of FBI and you are FBI. And the beauty of that is that every voice is so different and unique and passionate and talented that um, your FBI just becomes this enriched place. So I did all-nighters and I was filling in for a bunch of shows, eventually got Friday lunch um, before Sweetie Show, which was huge for me because I was such a fan of her and Shag's. And then eventually got Wednesday Arvos, where I had been for six years and wrapped up recently. Um, somewhere in the middle of that, we started a little segment called Race Matters on Breakfast, which eventually became its own show, um, an hour on a Saturday and now an hour on a Sunday. And then I wrapped up on Wednesday Arvos recently. <laughs> um, and I was like, this is it. I'm done. Like, I've done everything I can at this station. Um, it's time for... Uh, me to move on and you know um, reflect on the time that I've had here and 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 really appreciate and relish it and take that and and um, and move on <laughs> with my life and here I am <laughs> what like three I, months later yeah it was not very long no, ago <laughs> um, and you know this is a job that in some ways I'd been thinking about the whole time that I've known that FBI had existed and especially after meeting people like Caroline Gates or like Bart DeNaro and the leadership and the nurturing and the sharing of wisdom and knowledge that they have passed on. I'd always thought what that could look like for me. And I never really put two and two together until the job came along and um, I said yes and, and took it. And I thought, no, this, this makes sense. Um, I know I said bye, but FBI is one of those places you never really say bye. Like, no. <laughs> you never say bye to a place like FBI Radio. All my best friends have come from this station. 
I will always listen to FBI. A lot of the music I love, I discover in FBI. Um, yeah, you'll always have a connection to this place. What does it mean for you to have been involved in the station for so long and in so many different capacities? How, how have you seen that change between when you first started and now? And how does that impact the way that you do this role? Mm, I've pretty much spent my entire adult life here. Like a, a lot of people um, my age who've, uh, who are at FBI can attest to what that feels like growing up um, at FBI as like this second home and a second family. Um, I say that with full acknowledgement that it's not like that for everyone. FBI, um, in the times that I've um, been here, has had its ups and downs. It's not a perfect place. Nowhere is a perfect place. Um, I'm also not a perfect person. Um, I've learned so much kind of the hard way here um, in regards to, I don't know, I guess like, what it means to present, what my responsibility is to the kind of radio that I want to make. So I won't go too much into it now. No, we can come back to that yeah. <laughs> later in the show. And even just that that theme of, yeah, advocacy and using radio as a medium to stand up for what you believe in, which is obviously something that has grounded you in a lot of the work you've been doing, Darren. Earlier you mentioned Sweetie, who would later become your boss. What was that job? So, uh, again, Caroline Gates was like the keystone in our relationship. Um, she put me forward because Sweetie was looking for a PR assistant at a record label called Remote Control Records. It taught me a lot and I feel like it informs the way I make and understand radio as well because now I've been on both sides of like pitching music to radio and being on the radio. And it's equipped me with like some really, I would say, pretty unique pair of ears. Like I feel like I'll listen to music in so many um, different contexts and be like, this works for this and this works for this and this works only for this, that kind of stuff. It's simultaneously a blessing and uh, a curse because there's going to be stuff you genuinely don't believe in and you're like, mm. yeah, you should listen to this. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. I can say that because I don't work there anymore. So. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't work there. You work here exactly. as our program director of FBI Radio. This is Out of the Box. I'm sitting down with Darren Lasagas to talk about his shiny new role and all of the moments that brought him here. And in the last 10 minutes, Darren, I can already hear this amazing passion and drive and vigour and sometimes defiance and we're going to spend the rest of the show rolling through the moments that have kind of shaped you to be this person first let's jump into a song by fka twigs yeah why did you pick this one i think fka twigs is one of the first artists that we worked on where i was like i can't believe i'm working on the music of this artist i think she i like i've been a fan of hers for a long time um i think her sense of artistry is so unique and compelling and, you know, putting out, we didn't put out LP1, but we put out the Melissa EP um, and a couple of singles in between that. And then we lost it to Atlantic Records um, for this recent mixtape, which is fine, you know. <laughs> um, but we, yeah, put out um, Cellophane and we put out um, uh, that record as well. And I remember putting uh, Cellophane came out and I felt a, a moment of like, pinch me. I, I actually had something to do with this release coming out.
You're listening to FBI Radio 94.5 DAB, or if you're streaming via the podcast or on the website, fbiradio.com. That was FK. <laughs> that was FK Twigs. Darren's laughing at me because he is our program director and in charge of everything that happens on air, including the bloopers. The song was called Cellophane. And Darren is my guest on Out of the Box today. We're rolling through the stories and songs that have shaped Darren's life. That was one of them. And just before we talked about FBI and your role here, I, I want to go back all the way to the very beginning of your life or even before your life began. Can you tell me where your parents met? Mm. Uh, my parents are from the Philippines. My mum is from Mindanao in the south and my dad's from Manila. He's a city boy, as they say. They met in Sydney. Um, I actually don't know the details of how they met. Um, I know like fragments and I know moments and I know who was present when they did and it was essentially um them meeting through friends of friends as um most diasporas do they congregate in um you know shared ethnic backgrounds and philippines as (laughs) inherently a diasporic um uh people they gravitated towards these friends and stuck with them and um yeah, I, I get bits and pieces from my mom definitely about her um, her kind of teen and early 20s years in the Philippines. And it's something that I'm wanting to kind of dig more about, you know, being careful or empathetic that, you know, there were moments where I'm like, no, she doesn't want to talk about this. And there's a reason why. Maybe that's not for me to know. Maybe that's something for me to discover later on. Or maybe it's something for me to never know. And I have to do that kind of learning on my own. Like, you know, she doesn't owe me just because she's my mom. Mm. She had a life before me and she came to Australia to have a different life and that was her choice. What did her life look like when she got here? Um, She was a student. She had a house in, oh, what's the suburb that's like on the Bay Run? Oh, um, Jamoin? Yeah, yeah. She had had like a flat in Jamoin. She said something like she paid 60 bucks rent a week. What? It was that time. Yeah. And it was like overlooking the water and she paid 60 bucks and i remember she saying she paid her first she spent her first paycheck on a radio oh there it is (laughs) (laughs) that's beautiful (laughs) wow i didn't realize that was coming and then i was like i didn't even plan that um i literally just remembered that so your mom was a student what was your dad doing for work when he got here this is so bad i don't know (laughs) I can't remember what he was... Honestly, he's worked at the Australia Post for so long. He may have already been working at the Australia Post when I was a child. I don't think that's the case, though. Um, For whatever reason, it's not a relevant thing for me to know for him. Like, at that point, um, when you're freshly moved to another country from your home country and you know no one, the first mode is survival. Mm. And whatever that means is whatever it is. Like, you do what you can to survive. Um, if that means, you know, getting hitched with someone and like supporting each other. I'm not saying that my parents were like married for economic reasons. I'm sure they loved each other very much and still do. When you come into the world, Darren, is it just you, your mum and your dad? Yeah, me, my mum and my dad in a apartment in Nawe, I'm pretty sure, which is on the Green Line. Um, shout out to Green Line. Um, they used to document a lot of things, a lot of photos, a lot of videos on VHS. I remember one of the most vivid ones was my dad was like taking 
um, videos of my mum as a time lapse of her being pregnant with me. And it was like week one and it was like a profile shot of her with her belly out up until like the nine months. And I remember watching it. My cousin edited it <laughs> and put like boys to men on it or something. <laughs> and I remember watching it as a child and bawling, crying. I don't know why I thought it was so emotional, but I was like, my growth. Literally, <laughs> I was like, that's me. Yeah, I'm a miracle. How did that become me? I'm amazing. I, remember, I, I, well, I, I don't know if I was sad or like happy, but I remember crying in front of it and my parents being so confused. Number one, why were they showing it to me? That's weird. But um, yeah, I remember f- crying at that video. That's a really beautiful moment, Darren. And I'm, devastated that you haven't chosen a boys to men song to play on out of the box i thought about it (laughs) nine years after this montage was filmed your little brother comes along yeah what what does it mean for you to be a a little nine-year-old with you know like a nine-year age gap's pretty big it's huge i do i honestly didn't think about it that much at the time because he was premature so there were like complications around the birth that distracted us from like the idea of him coming there was a chance that he couldn't come you know so there wasn't a thought of like oh my god he's here it was like oh god like is he here um and i didn't you know that classic narrative of like an only child um their life being disrupted by the arrival of another sibling i didn't really um feel that narrative until my dad literally sat me down and was like hey darren (laughs) just because james is here now it doesn't mean that we love you any less I never thought that they would even do that. But then I was like, oh, now you planted the seed, Dad. I'm going to be looking for this in everything you do. And I did um, because I was a problem child. (laughs) My my next question is what kind of child were you, Darren? Is is problem the answer? Um, Look, every child is a problem in some way, right? That's what I tell myself. Yeah. (laughs) There is one story um, that I think of and I kind of tell to some of my trusted friends and you know you're trusted i can tell you well thanks it's just you <laughs> no and me. it's fine i'm building it's it you up and me and no one else <laughs> exactly this is this is not going anywhere right no this is just for your personal listening yeah 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 um when i was like oh it might have been before james i maybe it was like six or seven um i was at home with my parents it was a weekend and you know what you do on the weekend you just go to the shops just because that's what you do and um it was raining so um all the house was kind of like damp and wet and um, we were like, let's just get out of the house and go to the shops. And my parents were like, okay, go get ready and we'll leave in like, um, we'll leave when we're ready as well. I was like, okay, cool, I'm ready. Can I watch Aladdin before we go? And then my mom was like, yeah, 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 go watch Aladdin, go, go. And so they went about their day, their morning getting ready and I sat down and started putting Aladdin in the VHS. Um, and um, like five, ten minutes later, my parents come out and they're like, okay, let's go. And I was like, no, but you said I could watch Aladdin. And they're like, no, 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 we don't have time. Come on, let's go. Let's get ready. We're, we're going. And then they started, you know, packing up their things. And then I felt so wronged in that moment <laughs> because they promised that I could watch Aladdin and they took that away from me. So I went to one of the windows in the living room. It was all fogged up because it was raining outside and it was warm inside. And I wrote in the condensation of the window the word liar. And I sat underneath <laughs> that word with my arms crossed, arms crossed, yeah. arms crossed 
waiting for them to come out of the hallway and they came out. I don't remember what happened next. I think maybe they smacked me. Um, but they were like, what are you doing? And I remember in my head, I was writing it. I was like, I know how to spell this word. Yeah. People would use, at school, people say L-I-E-R, but it's L-I-A-R. And I wrote that on the window and I don't remember what happened next. Hopefully it wasn't too bad. I think you sat in the car with your head down. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm just spitballing. Here. Yeah. That's the, <laughs> that's the kind of child I was. I wasn't like that all the time. I'm sure I was lovely in other, other times. Well, Darren, <laughs> you're a radical. You're a radical and you stand up for what's right. And That's activism. That's activism. That's accountability. Yeah. Where's and- your accountability, <laughs> mum and dad? And... Let's put a pin in that moment. <laughs> Please. And we're going to circle back to it later in the show. But oh, first, a song. What would you like to play? This um, is skipping ahead to maybe like me being 13 and loving the Black Eyed Peas. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Ella Funk that this song was on. Um, the APL song or Apple song. Um, one of the members of Black Eyed Peas who's half fellow. Anyway, I was playing it at home and um, uh, my parents were listening in and they were like, Oh, that's that's a sin. I was like, no, it's Black Eyed Peas. He's like, no, the vocal that he's singing, like the chorus, is from. He's covering a song by a, a folk band from the seventies called A Sin, and the song's called Balita, uh, which translates to like news, or in less formally like goss, and it's like Arung Balita, which is like what's the goss or like what's 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 happening, and um, they're a band who were well, activists. They're they're an activist band, as most kind of folk music was in that time. And my mum had a CD of theirs already. And I was like, oh, how, how is this CD just in this pile of CDs? And I'm listening to Black Eyed Peas. It was such a like, oh, diaspora. Like, <laughs> wow, second generation. This is the translation of culture over time. Um, but I've loved the band ever since. And um, I still often revisit that album and that song. And I actually have that word belief that tattooed on my arm. <laughs> Lapit na lang ay bigan at makinig kayo Ako'y may dala-dalang balita galing sa bayan ko Nais kong ipamahagi ang mga kwento at mga pangyayaring nagaganap sa lupang ipinangako You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. That was a sin. The song was called Balita and it was chosen by Darren Lasagas, my guest on the show today. You might know Darren from Race Matters or formerly Wednesday Arvos on FBI Radio. He is now our program director. We were just talking about your early life and, you know, your mum worked in IT and your dad worked at Australia Post. And even though both of your parents had radios in your home, Darren, it didn't look like media or creative media was an obvious avenue for you. When you look to your future as a teenager, what did you see? Honestly, not much. Uh, I was a deeply sad teenager and my parents wanted to meet, wanted me to be a corporate lawyer. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to get there by majoring in anthropology at University of Sydney, which is what I did, and, um, and French. Anyway... Um, yeah, you're right. There was um, there was a lot of like in between time, which you know a lot of people in their late teens, early twenties experience of like, what do I want to do? Like, what even does the future hold? And I don't think that feeling ever goes away. Even now, I'm like, what does the future hold? Like, I mean, I'm in the moment that I was looking forward to in my early twenties. Um, um, what's next after this kind of vibe? And 
how much of what you do in the present informs what's coming next. And it's like, you just do. You just do. I'm getting distracted. Well, let's circle back to anthropology. Oh, yeah. What was that like? What did that degree mean to you? I loved it. Um, It was such a like, you know, I haven't thought about the the discourse of anthropology in a long time in the way that I did at the time, obviously. Um, But it did open my eyes um, in many ways, um, you know, in regards to stuff about race and culture and my place in it, um, my sexuality, um, you know, gave me the language and the tools to express what I thought was happening around me and what was happening to me in terms of you know, things around um, homophobia and racism and discrimination. Um, It equipped me to, like, identify these things. Um, And was that happening just, like, in the classroom or in lecture theatres or is that kind of what happens by the practice of studying anthropology in general? um, Both. I mean, it's so heavily bogged down in theory and reading the work um, of white people, which is a shame, but um, there were moments of, oh, this is this is written by someone who has a lived experience that I have and therefore this applies to me as opposed to looking at things more objectively. I'm like, this is something that's happening independently of me. There were moments where I could insert myself in and be like, oh, that's what my mum went through. Or like when I went to visit the Philippines, that's what I saw, that, that kind of stuff. It like really gave me a framework to understand the things that were happening around me. And I think it all pivoted when I had a really like 101, like classic rudimentary anthropology and gender course. And it opened me up to so many ideas and set me on so many pathways and conversations outside of the classroom that would shape what I do today and and why I do the things I do and how I have the relationships that I have and what I choose to put energy into and what I don't. Um, And helped me come to terms with, you know, myself and my sexuality, which I'd um, struggled to communicate um, and understand for so long. And it only takes looking back on those moments to be like, oh, that actually did set me up to understand maybe like a year later or like two years later, um, which I'm very like grateful for. And like, it's sad because it's like, it's sad and it's it's like a bittersweet kind of feeling of like, it's sad that it took that for me to to, to feel that. I'm sure there would have been other instances that I would be exposed to like, you know, a friend or a mentor or like, a family member who would have shown me these things and given me the language to understand these things, but it took like a very expensive uni degree for me to like feel like a human being. Darren, you've chosen a song by Arcade Fire. Oh like, God! After all that, the, the widest band alive. <laughs> we can pivot. No, let's play it. No, I, I will not deny this. I chose them because the suburbs came out what twenty ten. I was um first year uni. Um, I lived in Picos at the time, um, so I would walk from the house to Riverwood Station, Riverwood Station to Redfern, um, Redfern to uni, and then back again. And um, I didn't really have many friends back then, so I would just be listening to music, and I listened to The Suburbs a lot. Um, and I would always start my day by playing The Suburbs by Arcade Fire, and it's such a like <laughs> cliche of like... I'm just a boy walking through the suburbs and this song is for me. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, in the suburbs, I, yeah. And then like, this is my narrative. The narrative is so far removed from my lived experience, but like that feeling of like, oh, this is literally about the suburbs in which I live in. And I remember they had this like online activation, um, which was, I thought looking, I tried to find it the other day, but I couldn't find it where on their website, you could plug in your address and it, 
had a plugin with maybe like Google Maps or something, and it would animate someone running through your literal suburbs. So if you put in your address and like this is home, it would have like it would have all these pop up windows of like a person running through the streets of your like hometown. I mean, if that program no longer exists, maybe this is the time that if you're listening to this to go for a run through your suburb, mm. we are going to jump into that song right now, The Suburbs by Arcade Fire on FBI Radio 94.5. The Suburbs, it was Arcade Fire on FBI Radio 94.5. The chooser of that song was my guest on Out of the Box, Darren Lasagas, who is also the program director of FBI Radio, which means Darren looks after everything we hear on air. Darren, earlier in the show, we talked about a moment you stood up for justice as a child. It came in the form of (laughs) writing the word liar in some condensation on a window and sitting beneath it with your arms crossed, waiting for Mm. your parents to arrive. What an amazing scene for Mm. them to walk into. I want to talk about maybe more of an audio activism that you've engaged in. Yeah, just yelling liar over and over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For 24 hours, right? You did that on FBI. It was experimental. Yeah, yeah. It was a really defining moment for the station. Another time that you've been an activist on air was in 2017 during the media frenzy of the same-sex marriage plebiscite. I know about that legacy, even having come to the station years later, Can you, I I didn't get to hear it, but can you maybe tell me about the Arvos that you hosted during that time? Mm. Um, Yeah, Caroline Gates, program director at the time, um, emailed me and was like, hey, um, I've been in contact with a bunch of youth publishers um, and they're wanting to coordinate a blackout of their platforms which instead of having audiences access their content, it would go to a page that would tell them and direct them straight to AEC to register to vote in the upcoming plebiscite. And they were wondering if we wanted to um, not black out, but um, dedicate some programming during that time to um, directing people to also um, register to vote uh, in the upcoming plebiscite. And it just so happened that it was around 3 to 6 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which is where my show was. Um, at the time, obviously such a rough time for everyone um, to go through. And I had been feeling particularly like helpless in what I could do. What what would it take to make some sort of impact, if any, um, during that time of such unfair... Um, and blatantly unempathetic conversations in the public, um, in the media, <clears throat> in our interpersonal lives. What can you even do to cut through all of that? And that's not to say radio is the answer to all of that, but radio is part of, of that. It is a platform that reaches a lot of people. And if you have control, editorial control of what you do with it, that's a powerful thing. So it wasn't a moment of like, oh, this will be an empowering thing. <laughs> Not that I was sat there and was like, I'm about to be empowered. Uh, it's something that I reflected on. I was like, oh, I didn't think of it at the time. I was like, yeah, of course. Like, that makes total sense. It's great content or whatever. But it wasn't until the end of the show that I really, it really dawned on me what we were doing. 
So basically, we blocked out three hours of radio that day on my show to speak with a lot of community leaders, um, to speak with these youth publishers about the initiative that they coordinated together, play music by all queer artists, and speak with um, you know other volunteers around the station. It was a really packed show. It was like a lot of talking, a lot of um, stories being shared um, over the past few weeks leading into this plebiscite and leading into this vote. And um, yeah, there were moments of real joy, the sense of community that had been fostered by such a traumatic and collectively um, unfair event, but also moments of like tragedy and like moments of, um, you know, acknowledging the statistics of what it means to be a queer young person in Australia, when even on a regular basis, these conversations are having being had, but to have your sense of self and your existence pulled into question so publicly and so constantly um not only by the news that you watch on tv but your family and your friends and yeah i think i didn't realize what the gravity of what we were doing was until we reached the end of the show so this is three hours of radio which already on its own is quite a lot of radio to be talking but this is a very um content heavy show a lot of interviews a lot of really intense stories, trauma. And um, by the end of it, I was so overwhelmed by the show and the gravity of what we were doing that someone texted in and was like, oh, tuning out now, the world is more than about boys kissing boys and girls kissing girls. Like, I'm out. And it wasn't like triggering. And I genuinely agreed. I was like, Exactly. Like, this isn't about boys kissing boys and girls kissing girls. This is about so much more than that. And these are the conversations that we have with ourselves all the time. And I remember one of the people who came on the show to talk was my culture guide host at the time and a dear friend of mine who we lost quite recently, Sab D'Souza. And that moment of us, I won't go into what we talked about, but that moment of us sharing what our lived experience was and what it meant in that moment of time really solidified not only Sab and I's relationship with each other, but my relationship with radio and the ability to share these stories on the radio and have them unquestioned and to have things to bear witness to these conversations, I think is a powerful thing. And I often think back on that time with Sab and I think of how they held everyone to account including me including fbi and i always think back and i think now that sab's gone a lot of what i do is like what would sab do or like if sab were here what would they say to me and i try and carry that every day here at fbi now well i think from from the listener side of that too radio is just you and them and it is so impactful in that way um and I think it's so special that you harness that medium in such an effective way and encourage that from everyone here the next song you've chosen is by California Girl <laughs> sometimes the pivots are awkward no this is a good pivot. it's getting really emotional, in here. Know, emotional. let's play let's play a song <laughs> before I cry um tell me about this track California Girls, oh, where to begin? Um, I've been a fan of this artist since, what, like 2016, 
when he put out an album called Desire. And it's one of those albums that I just kept coming back to and soundtrack probably whatever self-inflicted trauma I'd experienced at the time. Um, uh, it's an album about like lust and yearning and sex and um, uh, how cringe that all is as well, as, as well um, which I feel like is a running theme through a lot of California girls' music. <laughs> Um, fast forward, like a couple years after that album, uh, I got reached out by Grace slash Rebel Yell, who was helping California girls put music out. Um, and they asked if I could premiere a song. I was like, very nonchalantly, like, yeah, cool. Been a fan for a little while. Yeah. Happy to premiere this one. So I did. Um, and, um, it's called Give Me Everything. And, um, yeah, gave it a cute little wrap up on air. And after that, I followed them on Instagram and um, we kind of just like, just those innate, like I, we were we were each other's reply guy, essentially. We were just mm. like, laugh, react. Darren, I kind of want to pause. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, talk about where that crush might evolve <laughs> in a couple of minutes time, but we will just stay right here yeah, on this song by California Girls. It's called Give Me Everything on FBI. Everything is This is Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. That song was called Give Me Everything by California Girls, the chooser, Darren Lasagas, FBI Radio's program director and my guest on the show today. Just before we were playing that song, Darren, you talked about premiering it on Wednesday Arvo's a while ago Mm. and then sliding into the DMs occasionally of that artist, California Girls. Let's pick up that story again. Sure, let's do it. (laughs) So where were we? Oh, yeah, the DM slides. Um, (laughs) They were nothing salacious whatsoever. They were literally like, hee-hee, cute, cute filter. I love Spider-Man. Like really inane shit like that, like embarrassing really. Um, But it wasn't until... Well, like a year, like months later, like up in this point, they'd been living in Canberra. I uh, I was in line um, to get into the Imperial to see Nathan McKay with a bunch of friends. And then I saw um, California Girls. So his name's Gus. Um, walking with a friend of mine, also uh, Marcus Well. And in like across the road, I was like, oh my God, Gus McGrath is here. Um, I didn't think anything of it. I was like, they're probably going in this party I'll probably see them in there. Let's just see what happens. Um, we go down. It's in, it's the basement. It's disgusting. Um, and I see Marcus and Gus, and I'm pretty sure they were dating. They were dating another person at the time, and they were there as well. Um, and I'm just like, oh, I'm not going to acknowledge him, but I'm just going to dance around and see see what happens. And I'm just da- dancing around them. Marcus goes, Darren. I'm like, oh hey, and then oh, so <laughs> good to see you here. What? <laughs> And I was like, hey, how are you? I'm like, yeah, good, how are you? Like, in the back, I like, can't hear anything. I'm like, yeah, good, yeah. And Mark's like, this is Gus. I'm like, oh, hey, like, nice to meet you. I'm Darren. Like, I premiered your song on FBI, like, a few months ago. And then Gus is like, has a confused look on his face. He's like, oh, 
famous. And I was in my head, I was like, that was weird. So I was like, yeah, anyway, how are you? And like, yeah, good. And then I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm out. And so I just went back to my friends and we just left it at that. And then like weeks passed and <laughs> I was at work. My office was in Camperdown at the time. And uh, I guess this, no, this is, this is kind of salacious, but not salacious. I get a little notification on a little app called Grinder. <laughs> And this is not going to go where you think it's going to go. It's literally from an anonymous account. And number one, red flag. Never reply to anonymous accounts. It just goes, hi. I'm like, okay, no. But then it's like a photo of Gus, like, selfie mirror, just like, fully clothed. Okay, it's fully clothed. <laughs> waving at the I end wasn't the, thinking he you was like, if, you know, if, you're, if you're a grinder user, you're like, oh. <laughs> but it was a very cute, normal, not, no, I don't say normal, but it was like a very non grindery message of like, hey, it's Gus, lol. And I was like, hey. And then I think we both needed that that moment of like, know that we're actually interested in each other. And thank God for Grinder for giving us that platform, but um, stupid, stupid app. Um, and then from there, we were just like chatting and chatting and chatting. And um, this was like December of 2019. And um, yeah, it was like holidays. And he like, on Christmas day, he was like, do you want to get a drink? I was like, yes, best Christmas ever. No. Um, and then... <laughs> And then we got a drink on um on like the day on the twenty seventh on Boxing Day. We went to the Cricks and got kebabs. And um, genuinely, we had like hadn't stopped seeing each other ever since then. Like we pretty much saw each other every day after that. And then lockdown happened. And then that was like what March April twenty twenty. Mm. And um, I was living alone. I was like, do you want to just stay with me? And then we locked down together that whole time. What we had like two lockdowns. And we just, like, had the best time. And we've been dating ever since. And now he has a show on FBI, which I didn't give him. Like, he got it before. He got it before um, I started <laughs> Well, you're pretty role. new in the seat. I'm pretty but... new in the seat. So um, I did not give him the show. Um, but he had to also has a show on FBI. And um, It's called Sleepless in Sydney. Yes. Oh, yeah. I should shout it out. <laughs> Sleepless in Sydney, Wednesdays, 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. With Marcus Whale, the friend that brought us together, essentially. And Grinder. And Grinder, thank Sponsors you. Sponsors of this Sponsored episode. by Grinder. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no. There was a moment on my last Wednesday Arvo show because, you know, it was such a hectic time for the both of us. We it was a new relationship. We're now locking down together in an apartment, um, a one-bedroom apartment with each other 24-7 every day for an indefinite amount of time. There was no sense that this was going to end. But... We really disconnected in a way that I, we, I, you know, I haven't connected with anyone in my life before. Um, and there's there's all these albums that we were listening to together that have just shaped that shaped our relationship at that time. And um, we would like, because I was still doing the show remotely, um, would like semi dedicate um, these songs to him, like in secret on the radio. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a secret. So <laughs> no one knew except for us two. Just us two. Yeah. No one else. Yeah, and now you. And everyone listening to this right now. And now, yeah, well, we're still dating. Yeah. That's really We're beautiful. actually in a band now. I was about to ask, do uh, you make yeah. music together? Tell me about your band. We're in a band. Um, I don't want to say too much. We literally play one show, um, but we're playing again on Saturday. I went, ah, okay, it's at the MO Hotel <laughs> with Optic Nerve. Um, it's me, Gus, um, his housemate Marcus, and their other housemate, Naomi. 
And I feel like we've been trying to make this band happen for so long and it just happened because we we were forced to because we got booked for the, our friend Grace's show. Again, Grace, who pitched that premiere to me. A, a main character a in main this character. story. A main character. So many characters in this story. Mm. Um, and the show was like two weeks out. We're like, oh, we actually have no songs. So we should write some songs. And we wrote songs in like three weeks and played at Red Rattler. And now we're playing another show. And then we have other shows booked. And I'm like, oh, God. I was already. I was like the other. I was on the other side. I worked in labels. Like I, I was dealing with bands who couldn't like handle timelines, and now I'm the person who doesn't know how to handle timelines and all these things. And it's just funny how it's all come full circle. I've heard it's a pretty good band, Darren. Who said that? That's what who people people are saying it. <laughs> people are saying it, and I'll put the details to that one <laughs> up on the program's page on fbrradio.com. It's perfect actress playing at the Enmore <laughs> Hotel, Darren. Earlier in the show. You were saying that the future looks unclear to you because mm. you are now living the reality that you imagined in your 20s. Oh, God. Can you can you point forward at all? Can you tell me what there is to look forward to from you other than the band? Uh, you know what? Coming into this role as program director, I feel like every program director brings something new to the role and therefore to the station. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that I don't know what that is yet. I feel like I'm so focused on the minute of the role, on the day-to-day, on the like, on the conversations we have every day that I'm like, I'm always like, oh no, what about the big picture? And then I have to remind myself that like, that is the big picture. The big picture is made of small brushstrokes. Oh, I just came up with that. Uh, <laughs> Let's write that on the board in our yeah. office. <laughs> but... I would say looking to the future, FBI is turning 20 next year. I feel like coming out of whatever the hell the last three years was, FBI, you know, is not alone in feeling the weight of what we've experienced and are still experiencing for sure um, with what's going on in the world and what that means for the arts, what that means for something like a radio station, what a radio station looks and sounds like. And... It would be an honor to play a part in ushering this new era of FBI after 20 years of existence, laying the foundations for what that will sound like and look like next year, but also honoring how far we've come and the foundations that have been laid over the past 20 years at this station. There's so much, there's such a wealth of stories and knowledge and radio that's come before you and I, Mia, that has informed the way you and I make radio today and how we'll make it in the future. And I think I just, whatever it looks like, I want I want to help remind people what it is that FBI does, which is reflect a city back to itself that is passionate about music and it's passionate about young people and it's passionate about advocacy and what that looks like in 2022 and 2023 and passionate about platforming voices that speak to the community that they're from and empowering those people every day. Yeah, I feel really excited to have you in this role and to have had you on the show as well. Darren, I think we both know that FM radio or radio in general is always called into question lately and sometimes it can feel like you're talking into a void. That's just the practice of radio, I think. But definitely in these past few years, you do wonder what the point is. And it's so refreshing to 
share space with someone who believes in the craft so intensely and so passionately. And I'm really excited for our future working together and for FBI's future under your stewardship. So thank you so much for doing that and for joining me today on Out of the Box. This is really just us jerking each other off at this time. <laughs> but thank you. It's been really nice to get to know you. What song would you like to um, end that little uh, session off with? I would love to end um, <laughs> on a song by an artist who uh, we lost quite recently, Sophie. Uh, I have so many, I have such a deep connection to this song. Um, I hear, I've heard it played by friends out at house parties in clubs. It was the last song I played on my radio show, uh, on my um, last Wednesday Arvos a few months ago. Um, it also played at um, Sabda Sousa's funeral, um, and it was a song that meant a lot to them. So I have this like connection to the song, which is always changing. It reminds me of so many different people. It reminds me of my time here at FBI and beyond. On top of that, it is a gorgeous, beautiful, I know you hate this word, euphoric um, song. What does euphoric even mean? But genuinely, if euphoria was a sound, it would sound like this song. It has a sense of transcendence and it has a sense of finality, but also a sense of, of movement and that there is something something coming. So it's Sophie and Immaterial. A huge introduction and we'll dive into that song right now on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Out of the Box. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you did want to listen back to this episode, um, you can do that on the programs page on FBIRadio.com. I'll put some links to Darren Lasagas' upcoming show with Perfect Actress and some of the things that he's spoken about. You can also see the full list of songs that he brought to the show. You can also listen back via the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Do stay tuned. Lunch is right around the corner. FBI. Without my legs on